Amen. Thank you, choir. Amen. It is a privilege to have Scott and Jill Riggins with us, this uh, couple that, that we've known. I've known Scott since, I think, 94 or something, 95, something like that. And he came over and volunteered um, in, the, in our regional office when we were in Russia, and so we knew him back then. And um, it's been involved in missions since then, and they were, they've been in Papua New Guinea for 10 years. And Jill did some of her growing up in this church right here. Her father was the pastor of this church for a number of years, and Jerry Stipp, Jerry and Karen Stipp. And, and so uh, Jill is not a stranger to many of you. And the, this is a quality couple that has served, served the Lord for many years um, on the mission field, and it's a privilege to have them here. Again, at the end of the service, we're going to take a generous love offering for them. Um, Scott was single when I first met him, and like me, he married up. <laughs> and um, They're a great young couple. I, I just love and appreciate them. They're three boys, so come and, just, and share with us this morning. One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And he said, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now you can see this story as you hear it. You can see it playing out in your mind. You can see Jesus with people just hungry for his words, crowding closer and closer. And he's looking for some space and he sees those boats. And he steps in here and and he sits down and he starts to teach the people from the boat and and then he wraps things up and he looks at Simon and he says, let's go fishing. And, and Simon has been listening to every word that Jesus says. And, and you can see the wheels start to turn when Jesus tells him to go fishing. He, he kind of looks at him and he, you can almost see him. He rolls his eyes. Master, we've been working hard all night and haven't caught anything. You know, I'm the fisherman here. You're really good at the speaking, the preaching, the teaching. You stick to that and let me do the fishing. And, and then he sees Jesus and he says, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. There are three things that happened here. Jesus saw what Simon couldn't see. He saw what was coming and he saw what Simon couldn't see. Simon saw Jesus. And he trusted Jesus. And Simon obeyed. Even when it didn't make any sense to the expert, Simon obeyed what Jesus asked him to do. This morning we're going to share with you some stories that show us what can happen when we obey and let down our nets, even when it doesn't make sense. Tonga is a small island nation in the Pacific, South Pacific, and it's actually called the Kingdom of Tonga because it's the only uh, island nation left that's still ruled by a king. And Tonga is seen as a Christian country. It's, uh, church is mandatory on Sundays. 
as is work is prohibited on Sundays. You don't go out working, even hanging up your clothes on the line, you'll get in big trouble. And so it's, it's a Christian nation, although as you and I know, everything that looks Christian isn't always as Christian as it seems. And one of the common misconceptions in Tonga is that people who've had, who have handicapped children, is, that's a result of the parents who have sinned, of one of the parents who have sinned. And so because of this, you know, in a Christian nation, you don't want people to think that you're sinners. So when handicapped children are born, they hide them in their house and they, they don't let anybody see or know that they have a handicapped child. Well, there was a Nazarene couple here in the U.S. that heard about this and heard that this story. And they went over in search for these hidden treasures. And as they went around the island there, they started asking around and, and somehow they started finding out who these people were and. And as they got into these houses, they found people all over this island with handicapped children. And some of them weren't children anymore. They were adults that have been hidden away for 25, 30 years. Well, this couple felt compassion for these people and these families. And they wanted to do something. Well, Tonga is already a Christian nation. It's full of churches. So they wouldn't let us come in as just the Nazarene church. But they would let us come in uh, as a compassionate ministry with a compassionate ministry center. And so this this couple laid the groundwork for the Mango Tree Respite Center. And in 2006, that that respite center was dedicated to the Lord. And, and in 2007, a couple by the name of Inquan and Young Suk Kim, there were some Korean Nazarenes who who uh, said, because you say so, Lord, we will go to Tonga and minister to these families. Well, Inquan recently wrote about his reflections over these last three years. You know, the work started out fairly slow because people still weren't trusting that it was okay to come out into the public with these with their handicapped uh, family members. And so Inquan had to go out again and, and search him out. And in that first year, he said, you know, I had one family that would allow me to come and see them. And they lived on the other side of the island. So every week I would drive over there and minister to this family. Well, now three years later, 2010, they're seeing 82 families with handicapped children who either come to the Mango Tree Center or that they go out to their house and minister to them there. And what a blessing Inquan has been there. And as they as they uh, have 82 families coming, they quickly realize, you know, this center isn't big enough anymore. We, we really need something bigger to minister to more. And as they began praying about that, it wasn't that long afterward that the Korean national government called them or, or wrote them and said, we've heard about what you're doing and we'd like to give $50,000 to your ministry there. And praise God for that. And shortly after that, they were they were had another ceremony where they were dedicating something and, and there was a representative from the king there at this. And he heard and saw what they were doing. And he said, we want to dedicate some land. I'm going to talk with the king and we want to dedicate or we want to give you some land. And when they when they gave that land to him, it turned out it was right next door to the current mango tree. So praise God that they're going to be able to grow that center more in Kwan and Yang Suk do more than just bring in these families to, to for rehabilitation. They, they have uh, vocational skills that they're teaching computers. Uh, they've taught some of them even how to walk who haven't walked and they're, you know, they're six or seven years old and they still don't walk and they're teaching them how to walk. In Kwan and Yang Suk are not physical therapists. They, they weren't trained in that. They have no training in it whatsoever. And so I'm sure when they were called to go to Tonga, they were thinking, what are you thinking? We don't know what we're doing. But yet they said, because you say so. They saw Jesus and they said, because you say so, Lord, we will go and minister to those families. And now they have 82 families that they're ministering to. They bring in volunteers from Australia, New Zealand and the U.S. to come and train, teach 
and treat these, these families. And so what a blessing it has been to see how Enquan and Yangsuk have allowed the Lord to use them even when they didn't feel like they were uh, equipped to do so. And by saying, because you say so, they went in and let the Lord use them. Vero is a close friend of mine, and she would come to my house once or twice a week, and she would help me in my flower garden, and we would sit down together and share stories together and share scriptures together, and it became a very dear friendship to me. One day as she was getting ready to leave, she said, Jill, I'm looking for a book called The Purpose Driven Life. Have you heard of that? And I knew we had it on our shelf, and I went to get it and gave it to her, and I said, Vero, you can keep it. Do whatever you need with it. And she took it home and read it a few weeks later. She came to see me again and she said, Jill, I've got to tell you what God's been doing through that book. And I listened as she shared with me that she could not put it down. She was so excited by what she was reading. It was so helpful to her that she had to talk about it with others that were around her. One of those was her friend Esther. She said, now Jill, Esther's not a Christian, but I think that she's going to become a Christian. And I've loaned that book to her to read. Is that okay? I assured her, Vero, it's your book, and you can do whatever you want with it. And, and she said, well, you need to pray for Esther. And I added Esther to my prayer list. I put Vero's name next to it, knowing that they were walking this journey together. A few weeks later, as Vero and I were talking, she said, Jill, I've got to tell you what God's done through that book. She said, Esther came to church with me, and she's prayed with the pastor and with me, and she's become a Christian. And I'm so excited I've been able to disciple her. Every day we get up in the morning and we go through and we read part of the Gospel of John together. And then I'm able to, throughout the day to pray with her and to teach her how to pray and how to understand what she's reading in the Bible. And it's so exciting to be a part of her journey. A few months later, I was chatting with Vero again, visiting with her, and she said, Jill, I've got to tell you what God's been doing. Now, now Vero, I knew, had been taking some classes by extension in the village, some Bible classes that she'd been taking. And, and she really was, was wanting to go to the Bible college. She said, I, I feel like God's going to open up that door, and I'm not sure how it's going to work out yet, but you can pray for me. She said, I, I need the finances, I don't have enough money to attend, and I need to be accepted. They haven't accepted me to the Bible college yet. And you know, if I get to go, I would, I would really like to have a study Bible to take with me. This was a couple of years ago, and we were getting ready to go on home assignment, and I said, Beryl, I'm sure I can find a study Bible for you when we go back to the U.S. Well, sure enough, we were speaking in a church on our, on our home assignment, and, and I shared Vero's story, and they eagerly responded, and they said, we would like to provide that Bible for Vero. And I was able to present that Bible to her when I returned to the field. We sat down and we shared together, and she told me that indeed she had been accepted to the Bible college, and that she was, she was able to go, uh, the Lord had opened the doors for her financially, and I was able to present her with that Bible, and she said, oh, be sure and tell those people thank you. She said, you know, I don't get to town real often to the Christian bookstore, and when I do go, a lot of times, that, book, that Bible is out of stock because it sells out so quickly. And when I've seen it, it's so expensive, I don't think I would ever be able to afford it. Thank you so much. I didn't knew that I wouldn't see her as often than she was, when she started her classes. It was about 20 minutes down the highway from us, and she was busy with studying, so I didn't see her near as often. But every once in a while, she would come by. After she'd been in class for a few weeks, she came to my door and sat down and she said, Jill, I've got to tell you what God's been doing in my life. I have to tell you what he's done through that Bible. And I sat down and with her and I listened as she said, 
Jill, I, I was using that Bible in class, and I would take it to the library and study, and I would use it in chapel. And she said, the chaplain for women came to me and said, Vero, I noticed that you've got that really nice study Bible, and I think that would be helpful for me, too. And, and Vero, this, this treasured gift that she had just received, she said, Chaplain Ellis, if you can use it, here, you can have it. And, and what a blessing to see Vero's generosity simply obeying because the Lord prompted her. I think they ended up sharing it back and forth and using it, both of them, in their studies and in their ministry. And a few months later, it, that year of Bible college was wrapping up, and Vero came to see me again. She said, Jill, I've got to tell you what God's going to do. She said, she said I, I've been assigned to Medang. Now, at the end of that year of Bible classes... They, they take six weeks for each student, and they assign them to a local pastor to learn and minister alongside of them. And Vero was assigned to Madang. She said, I don't really know anybody down there, and it's going to be different, but I'm excited to see what God's going to do. Now, Vero is from the highlands, that mountainous region in the middle of the country where we live, and it's, it's kind of like natural air conditioning in the evening. It's really cool, and, and it's not too hot, and... And they eat a lot of sweet potato, and they have their own local language and their own culture. Well, Vera was assigned to Madang. It's a coastal town, and it's very hot and sticky. And it's a long 12-hour bus ride down a very, very rough road called the highway. It's the only highway in the country, but it's nothing like a highway. And, and at the end of that road is the, is the town of Madang. And, and Vera would be eating more fish, and she'd be speaking, trying to learn a different language, and, and speaking more English than she was used to speaking in the highlands. And so it was going to be almost like she was going as a missionary within her own country. But she was excited to see where God would lead her. And I, I prayed with her before she left. And at the end of that six weeks, she came back to report to me. She said, Jill, I have to tell you what God's been doing in Medang. She said, I got down there and I went to the local pastor and, and he wanted me to open a new work in a community that, that's near a school. And I got to open that work with all of these kids. She said, I went into the school to work with them and, and they call me teacher. They don't call me pastor, they call me teacher. And I'm so excited how I've been able to help present the gospel to these children and to their parents. Some of the parents had never heard the gospel before, never heard of Jesus. And she was so excited to share with me. Now, selfishly, I was really hoping that Vera would be assigned to the highlands where we live. So that at the end of that year of Bible classes, that we'd be able to continue visiting from time to time. But I could tell as we sat there that God was pulling at her heart and that, that he was putting a burden in her for those children in Madang. And I began to pray with her for God's will for her life, for, for those doors to open and for God to lead her. Sure enough, a few weeks later, she came to me and she said, Jill, I've got to tell you, the district superintendents have assigned me to Madang. I'm so excited to go where God's leading. And, and I prayed with her again, and she said, now you can pray for a place to live. She said, there's a man that owns a house. He's not using it, and he's going to let me live in one room of that house. But I'm not real sure how that's going to work out. I don't really know anything about it, and, and I don't know if it's long term or not, but, but you can pray for me. And I prayed for her and supported her while she was down there. Several months later, she came back up that rough road again on a Wednesday. And she sat down at my table and I said, Vero, tell me what God is doing in Medang. And I eagerly listened as she said, oh, Jill. She said, I've got a congregation full of kids. On Sunday, I dedicated 11 kids to God. 
Their parents weren't all in church. But I dedicated those kids to God, and I'm excited to be a part of their journey. She said, on Monday, the man that owns the house sat down with me and the other local pastor and his wife, and, and he said, Vero, I see what you're doing with those kids, and I believe in you, and I, I want to give you that house where you're living. And I want to give you everything in the house. She said, I'm sleeping on a bed, and I've got plates and cups and a table and chairs, and I'm cooking over a gas stove. She'd only cooked over an open fire and slept in a grass hut, a bush house. And she was just amazed by how God was blessing her obedience. She said, I was so shocked I couldn't even cry. And then she said, it didn't stop there. The man gave me the land next to the house to use to build a church. Now, now Vero is a single woman, and she has a congregation full of children. It's going to be a little hard for them to build a church. But Vero is believing God. And you can pray with me for Vero and for that congregation of children and for their needs that they have, that the Lord will supply those needs as they work to build a church, a church building. God abundantly blesses when we obey him and let down our nets. Well, as you all know, to say, because you say so, is not always that easy. Sometimes uh, the decisions we make are painful or hard. Sometimes they're not, but some, a lot of times they are. And those are the times that we really struggle and, and we can feel our heart being pulled every which way. And today we kind of want to illustrate that in a different way. We've got a table up here. and I think most of you are familiar with uh, King Arthur and his round table. Uh, well, today we don't have a round table, but you can pretend that this is round. This is our rectangle table. But if you know, in King Arthur, they... He has his knights, and they come and they gather around the table, and they would tell King Arthur, you know, this is what's happening in, my, in our area, in our area. But ultimately, King Arthur is the one who made the decision, and everybody followed that out. Well, in our hearts, we also have a round table. Our heart is our round table. And today, we're, this is going to represent our hearts. This is our round table. And you're going to be surprised at who meets around our round table. And we're going to need five volunteers, if we could. It's nothing hard. You're just going to set up here. Real quick. We just have five people, real quick, come up. Pastor, Rex, somebody else, Ed, two more, two more, one from the back and one here. Good. Very good. Now, I'm going to introduce you to who is here at the table, and everybody find a seat. Right in the middle, we have Will. Will, I'd like you to put the crown on. This is King Will, and he makes the decisions around this table. And, and these are his advisors that have come to the table. And this morning, they've come to the table as advisors, and they've told him, Now, Will, we, we like what's happening here, but we know of a guy named Jesus, and we really like him, and we think he should be a part of this table. We want you to make him king. Will listens to their advice, and he says, that sounds good. All right. And he passes the crown to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, you're the new king. And everybody's excited about that. But Jesus looks at King Will, and he says, I am so thrilled to be a part of this table. I'm thrilled to be a part of what's happening here and these decisions. But, but I actually didn't come to take over this. I came to serve. So Jesus gives the crown back to King Will, and he picks up the towel as the servant at the table. He says, anytime you need me, you look at me. You can just put that towel over your shoulder. He says, anytime you need me, you just look to me. I'm here to help you whenever you need me. Now, the next person around our table here is Mind. 
Mind comes to the table with lots of ideas, always talking. And, and he has all kinds of information and thoughts and ideas. And he's always giving those, feeding those to Will. Mind has a lot of history that he brings to the table. Things that you think you've forgotten, mind brings them to the table again. And, and he's got good ideas sometimes. But sometimes what he says is not always true. So Will has to learn to look to mind and say, shh. And then look to Jesus and say, what do you think? 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And, and that's what we do when we say, shh, to mind. And we listen to what Jesus has to say. The next person at the table here, if you thought mind was loud, emotion is louder. Emotion has a very loud, comes to the table with a lot of intensity. And sometimes with anger or with fear. And he comes to the table excited sometimes. And and sometimes his emotion and the volume of his voice can be overwhelming. This is not a quiet place. This is a very loud place. And and Will has to learn to look at emotion and say, shh. And then he has to look to Jesus and say, what do you say? And you know what Jesus often says to our emotions? He says in John 6, do not be afraid. And in John 14, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Jesus speaks peace to our emotions. Now, again, kind of like mine. Mine comes to the table with some good ideas. And Christ might take those and say, yes, that's, that's it. With emotion, if you can get on motion on board with Christ, if you can get emotion to understand Christ's love for you, that's a dynamic emotion then. Then it becomes, begins to work for us and be a dynamic motivator. On this side of the table over here, we have desire. He comes to the table saying, I need. What he means is, I want. And, and he comes with a long list. He comes with an agenda. And, and he's ready to share his agenda. And, and he, he's sometimes, you know, it's a relational need or an emotional need that he has, that he, he feels it's a need and it's a want. And he has all kinds of, of things on, on his list that he's trying to accomplish. And Will has to learn to look to Jesus, look to, look to uh, desire and to say, shh. And then he has to look to Jesus and say, what do you want? James 1 tells us that we sin when we are led away by our own evil desires. But Proverbs 37, or Psalm 37, also tells us that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our heart. If we can line up those desires, if we can allow that desire to be for Christ, He will give us the desires of our hearts and we find Jesus then. There are a couple other chairs up here. One is in the back. And, and this one comes to the table uninvited. This is people. And he is here whether you want him to be or not. And he has a lot of opinions to the table. Now, sometimes he is invited by the other guys up here. But, but people comes, and, and sometimes he's giving you thoughts and opinions without you asking. And sometimes you're wondering, what is he thinking about? And, and Will has to learn to look to people and say, shh. And then look to Jesus and say, but what do you think? 
And then lastly, we have an empty chair up here. That's because the occupant of this chair is constantly running around this table wreaking havoc. And, the, and this is demonic influence. Demonic influence is one that we like to forget about. We like to pretend that he's not here. But Ephesians 6 tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We can't ignore this guy. If we start listening to him, we will start believing that Jesus is not at our table anymore. We've got to listen to Jesus, quiet the other voices around us, and let him speak peace to this table. Let's give our volunteers a hand. Thank you for coming out this morning. Now, you can imagine that this happens thousands of times a day sometimes, <laughs> more times than we can count. We, we, we recognize what happens around this table when it's a major decision, but a lot of times it's, we, we, can't even, we don't even realize that we're making, going through this process. Many of you know that, that uh, recently we made a decision not to sign our next contract with the church as missionaries, that we've decided to stay here in the U.S. for a while. You need to know that that decision was not something that we were asked to do. It was not a financial decision, but we made that decision around this table. And we said, Lord, it doesn't make sense to us. It's not what we want. It's not our desire to go back to the U.S. Our family is here. The people that we served with became our family. It wasn't, we had emotional ties to that place, to Papua New Guinea. Our children were all born there. It was where we met. We had lived there for for several years, and it was home. And it didn't make sense if we thought about it and tried to rationalize through it. It didn't make sense to come back here. We don't really, we still don't know what we're going to be doing or where we're going to be living. And it could be anywhere. And, and we, we aren't really finished with our assignment there. The the work goes on and, and we're kind of leaving some loose ends. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But as we focused on all those other voices, we felt unsettled in our hearts. And as we began to quiet those voices and recognize them for who they were, and we listened to the voice of Christ, he began to speak peace to that table. And we began to sense his peace in our hearts. Jesus sees what we don't see. We must see him and trust him and obey even when it doesn't make sense. And when we do that, the next couple of verses in Luke chapter 5 show us that there is abundant blessing when we are obedient. When they had let down their nets, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Did you catch that in in verse 7, in the last verse that I read there? Peter couldn't do it by himself. Simon was, was trying, and then it was, the blessing was so much he couldn't do it by himself. That's what we are in the body of Christ. We are partners in this. The harvest is plentiful. It's more than one person can handle on their own. And as we each work together, each letting down our nets in obedience, we become partners with each other, and together we reap an abundant harvest. What is God asking you to do this morning? That is letting down your nets. I don't know how he's speaking to you, but but as you listen for his voice, know that he knows your heart. He knows right where you are. And he is walking through this ready to serve you, just as Jesus is ready to serve King Will. He is ready to serve you. 
and to help you reap an abundant harvest of blessing.